Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to another episode of So I'm a Horror Fan. This is episode 103. We are now officially in December. We are rapidly approaching the end of our year and, weirdly, our two-year anniversary, which is crazy. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Simon. And I'm Lee. And today we are kicking off our horror comic book movies month with a look at... The adaptation of Alan Moore's From Hell. So, I'm going to let you do your thing, and then we will uh, get into this. Okay, so From Hell, released in 2001. On it already, look. Um, Directed by Albert Hughes and Alan Hughes. And written, the screenplay was written by Terry Hayes. Based on graphic novel. There is another credited writer as well. If you open that bit up, there is another credited writer. Sorry. It's just because I want to give the... And Raphael... Iglesias. Yeah, I just want to give the appropriate credit. You tried to see if I could pronounce his surname, didn't you? No. Basically, a graphic novel by Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell. Big up. The Dirty Wizard. The Dirty Wizard. Uh, Cast-wise in this film, we have Johnny Depp as Inspector Frederick Aberline, Heather Graham as Mary Kelly, Ian Holm as Sir William Gull, Robbie Coltrane as Sergeant Peter Godley, Godley even, sorry. Ian Richardson as Sir Charles Warren, Jason Fleming as Netley, Karen... No, Katrin. Cartledge is Dark Annie Chapman. I don't know was there a dark, light Annie Chapman? Know, dark Annie Chapman. <laughs> uh, Terence Harvey is Benjamin Ben Kidney. Susan Lynch is Liz Stride. Paul Reese is Dr. Ferrell. <laughs> Leslie Sharp is Kate Eddowes. Estelle Scornick as, as Ada. Uh, Annabelle Epson as Polly Nichols, Joanna Page as Anne Crook, Mark Dexter as Albert Sickert. Yeah, we're not going to go into his full name because uh, that will spoil things. Uh, Samantha Spiro as Martha Trabram. And I think that is all of the main cast. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. it is. So, synopsis for this film is, in Victorian era London, a troubled clairvoyant police detective investigates the murders of Jack the Ripper. So this movie was made on a budget of $35 million, and its total worldwide gross was no, $74,558,115. And this was in the good old days, when you used to have massive delays in releasing films, because this film didn't actually come out until March 2002 in the UK. So there was like a five-month gap in release. Like it was October 2001 in America, like March 2002 in the UK. Mm-hmm. So that might account for some of the worldwide gross. Um, big up Pirate Bay. Um, but I, you've never seen a trailer for this movie. The trailer for this movie is the most egregious thing ever. It's all flash cuts editing, techno music, and a weird like voiceover. And then, like, the trailer ends with the voiceover guy going, you think you know the story, you don't know Jack. Oh, Jesus. And it's the most egregious thing, because I'm like... So, before we get into the film, I want to ask you... I want to ask you a couple of things before we get into it. Yes. We have to start with the source. Not Jack himself, but the source of the, the comic book. How familiar are you with Alan Moore's work? Um, I have seen... This is the third film I've seen based on his works. Fourth, sorry. Um, but that's about it. I've never... I own V for Vendetta. I've never read it, though. 
Yeah, because the films that were adapted is this. This was the first one. Then V for Vendetta. Then, um, no, sorry, this. Then League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Then V for Vendetta. Then Watchmen. Um, in terms of like his work, have you ever read any of his work? No. Or have you just seen the films based on just his Just seen work? the films. Okay. Um, but you are aware of who he is and his importance and all that sort of jazz, aren't you? Dirty Wizard Daddy, yeah, I am yeah. indeed. Isn't it weird how Rob Zombie's ageing into Alan Moore? He is. <laughs> I saw a picture of Rob Zombie the other day and I was like, holy shit, he looks like Alan Moore. Um, and then what is your what was your kind of like understanding of the Jack the Ripper case? So I went through, I feel like most British teenagers of an alternative uh, style all went through a Jack the Ripper phase. Mm-hmm. Don't know why it's just in, especially in England, like it is one of those things. Like you just go through a phase of you're like, holy shit, Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. So I just have like a brief period of being like quite obsessed with the case, um, but I wasn't like. It's one of those things that I kind of come in and out of. I don't really. I'm not obsessive over the Jack the Ripper case, but yeah. I am obviously aware of it. I mean, I grew up in England. It's one of those. It's one of those things that you you learn about, regardless if you if you live in England. It's one of the most famous cases to come out of England. It's our most famous unsolved case as well. Yeah, I think I think it's like one of these things. Like I went through a period. I've mentioned this on multiple podcasts, and we have talked about Jack the Ripper on the podcast before. Because I think either our true cases, like odd or urban legends, one of those episodes that we did, those random true episodes, case, I think we talked about Jack the Ripper because I brought I brought him them it up. Um, yeah, like, I went through a phase when I was, like, an edgy teenager of, like, being really into, like, serial killer cases, like I think a lot of people do, um, because there's, like, a fascination with it. Like, you see, I feel like in the age of social media, like, it's become more easy to glorify serial killers. Mm-hmm. And, like, you see a lot of people online that are, like... And I don't want to call anyone out directly because I don't know anyone specifically, but you see like people that have got like usernames on Twitter that are like Ted Bundy is daddy and stuff like that. And like they're like they want to romanticize the idea and they're like sexually attracted to serial killers. And like I think in the last few years, it's, it's become a lot more obvious, I think yeah. I would say. I don't think it's a new thing, but it's become a lot more obvious yeah. and... in the social media age. And I think. Like, weirdly, Jack the Ripper has had a resurgence in the pop culture eye in the last 15 years. Mm. Because the band Whitechapel, one of the first ever pieces of merchandise they released was a t-shirt with Jack the Ripper on it with, like, the London Tower in the background. Um, One of the Assassin's Creed games that's set in this time period, there's a... Side quest. Side quest. There's a DLC where you can actually... One of the missions is to hunt down and kill Jack the Ripper. Um, Obviously, the Ripper Street TV series Mm -hmm. came out as well. And then, obviously, like, when Todd McFarlane released that range of toys, he did one on, like, Elizabeth Battery, Attila the Hun. Jack the Ripper was one of them, And then there's a Jack the Ripper one as well. It's The thing that I find the most fascinating is Jack the Ripper was never caught. Nobody knows what Jack the Ripper looks like, but every time... So, case in point, those three things I mentioned, the the Whitechapel t-shirt, which I did own one of, um, the Assassin's Creed game and the action figure by Todd McFarlane, he looks exactly the same on all across all three things. He's a tall man with the long coat, the doctor's bag, the hat, like really thick sideburns, and he kind of looks dirty in the face. 
Like, the Todd McFarlane toy especially, he's got, like, red eyes. Like, he's got red around his eyes like he's been to a My Chemical Romance concert. And he's got, like, yellow teeth. And he looks... For someone who's meant to be, like, an educated gentleman, they kind of make him look more monstrous than yeah. he is. Like, because... rather than being, like, well-groomed or, like... Yeah, as he had been described um, at one point during the murders... I can't remember whose murder it was. It might have been Edo's. Um, somebody witnessed what they thought was potentially... Yeah, here we go. I described seeing a fair-haired man of shabby appearance was the description of him that got provided. Mm-hmm. And there was also, I think, one where he was referred to as wearing a deer stalker at one point. Yeah, so he looks like how... Jason Fleming looks in this movie Mm -hmm. from Eyewitness Reports, which would make sense because there is the scene in this movie where he is helping the Jack the Ripper character and he's seen holding the prostitute down by an eyewitness and Mm -hmm. he doesn't have the hat on and you can see his face. But obviously the Jack the Ripper character is in the background. He's in the shadows. You can't see him. Mm -hmm. So, like, it would make sense... Sorry, I can just see something in your eyes. It looks like like so your phone screen's reflecting in your eye in your glasses and where your thumbs are moving. It looks like one of those little birds that people put on the desk. I'm um, sorry. But yeah, so it would make sense if there was someone who was like an eyewitness, like maybe a drunk walked past or something like that. It was like a that. it was a cigarette salesman. Yeah. Um a weird job title. Cigarette salesman. So before we get into this film, because mm-hmm. I think with the four films that we're covering this month, I think it's important to talk about the source material beforehand and i i have read the source material a long time ago it's one of the only alan moore things that i've read that i've not read more than once Mm -hmm. but this movie takes an extreme amount of liberties with not only the real life case but also the source material provided by the comic book so the comic book essentially like the film has the two plots it has the plot of the jack the ripper killings and Frederick Abiline trying to catch the Ripper. But it also has the Mason subplot as well. And obviously, spoiler alert, if you've never read a 33-year-old comic book, or if you've never seen a 21-year-old film, it's the revelation that he is a Freemason who is helping the royal family to kill these prostitutes because of covering up the fact that one of the royal family had an affair with a prostitute and has sired a child. So those two subplots in the film are from the comic book. Now, Not to the fair, he married her. Yeah, but you know what I mean, though. Like, mm. so the this is where the two the two projects diverge. So in the comic book, it is revealed that William Gull, who is revealed to be Jack the Ripper, is crazy. Essentially, mm-hmm. he has visions, or he believes that he has visions. So he takes it upon himself to start murdering the prostitutes at the behest of the royal family because of what has happened with Albert. Mm-hmm. Now, he believes that it is a Masonic threat from the Illuminati and he goes around killing the women because he believes that the women are going to suppress like masculinity. So he needs to kill them to assert masculine dominance over the females of the world so that the patriarchy can essentially rise and men won't be hold, held down in the 20th century. Jesus which is why he okay. which is why he kills the five prostitutes. Because he believes it's part of a mystic ritual that will help men to assert dominance in... in Jesus fucking Christ. Like, okay. 
the thing. And then basically towards the second half, so everything plays out as it does in the film. He has Netley, who is his stagecoachman and is played by Jason Fleming in the film, write the From Hell letter and basically plans to use him as a fool guy, essentially. Now, as you get towards the later half of the comic, you find out that he has what is known as a transcendent experience. So his capture and judgment by the Masons plays out exactly the same as it does mm -hmm. in the film. They basically put him in, in the asylum under a fake name mm -hmm. and then they kill another person and, and basically make frame it look like a, a yeah. yeah, and frame it. But this is where it gets weird because before he dies, he has a transcendent experience where he essentially sees visions of everything that happens in the 21st century after his death. So he sees like the Yorkshire Ripper, he sees Ian Brady, he sees like the London Monster, he sees that his he was the inspiration for Jekyll and Hyde and he basically sees the influence that he has caused through his actions on the 21st century and how, like he says in the film, men will say that I gave birth to the 21st century. And he has what is, like, as he is ascending and as he believes he is becoming a god, he has an out-of-body experience where he sees a woman in Ireland who's got four girls who are named after the four women that he killed and he kind of presents himself to her and she can see him, but then she banishes his spirit to hell. And that's essentially how the comic book ends, which is where that main plot diverges from the film. Everything else kind of plays out exactly the same, okay. except for Johnny Depp's character is um, not a clairvoyant. And the character that he is actually based on was a real person who wasn't an opium addict and wasn't a heroin addict. And the one criticism that Alan Moore had of the film was that he took the gruff inspector character and they turned him into an absinthe swilling dandy, which I think is fucking hilarious. I'm into it. Because Alan, Alan Moore's not known to mince his words. So basically, having explained that and then you see the film, mm. the film clearly plays out very fucking differently um, because they basically just take the Mason plot and the fact that he is Jack the Ripper and they show towards the end some of his signs of insanity because when his eyes go black and he has the confrontation with Abilene and then he obviously you see the judgment and him going into the asylum. But it's all very like they take all the mystical transcendent because there was a whole plot in the comic book about the fourth dimension and how he could obviously. The more you're talking about this, <laughs> the less likely I am to read anything by Alan. And how he could fucking ridiculous. Like how he could see through like the spatial plane and so, things like that. But yeah, that's all cut out of the film. I have a major issue with this film predominant predominantly. But also a little bit with the comic book. Because obviously Jack the Ripper terrorised London. It wasn't even for that long either. It only took place over the course of like three months. Yeah, whereas the film is very vague with dates. Yeah, the, the, it makes it seem like it's very, been going on a lot longer. Yeah. But he terrorised London. Yeah. And he did horrendous... I say he because that's the assumption is that Jack the Ripper is a he, but we don't actually know. But like he did these horrendous things... And it's kind of gotten to a point, and I feel like this film, especially I've not read the comic book, so I can't really talk to the comic book to a degree, but they've kind of romanticised his crimes to a degree. Yeah, so I think this was the main criticism of the film, and this is the thing that we talked about a lot when we were watching it, was they took a lot of all the stuff out of the comic book that made Alan Moore's version of this story 
super interesting. They wanted to make the crimes as brutal as possible and they also wanted to make them true to life. Mm. But they wanted to do away with everything else. But in doing so, they mythologise... Like, I mean, he's already mythologised, like, anyway, because of the fact that he was never caught. But they mythologise him and they mythologise Mary Kelly. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of people have said this is basically just a period slasher. And I was like, yeah, to a degree, he is essentially Jason, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, whatever whatever slasher villain you want to like use him as an avatar. Because you never... And like, I think that's kind of where they use the, the license very liberally was because until the revelation... I mean, he even gets a fucking villain monologue, for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. Like, before the revelation of who he is, you, you're not supposed to know who he is. But the one thing they don't do, and this is the ma- my personal massive crime of the film, is they never play up the mystery aspect. No. Like, they're like, oh, it's, well, there's these geezers that were, like, threatening to cut the prostitutes. Maybe it's them. Maybe that, it's this other guy. Like, that plot line that, goes nowhere. Yeah. Like, you never... Like, at all. You never hear from them again after the Jack Burton yeah. stuff kicks off, really. Yeah, you never... Like, because they mention it in passing a couple of times. They're like, oh, wow, we know that he stuck a knife in this woman's face and maybe it's them. But then they're like... He says that he's taking care of them at one point, so the streets are going to be like safe for a week, but then the killings are still going on. And that, to me, like, quite how they, A, made such a meandering movie about such a well-known... Mm. And I, de- I don't want to use the word interesting, but, like, such a... I mean, it is an interesting yeah, case, because they never caught it. Such like... a, like, well-known case... And they make such a boring film. But yeah, like the mystery aspect of it is really toned One down. of my main issues I have with this, and it's something that gets forgotten a lot, and it's not just the Jack Lurie Kate that's an issue with, mm. but this film does it a lot. Outside of Mary Kelly, bearing in mind we both do know quite a bit about the case, mm-hmm. if you had watched just watched this film, would you remember what any of the other women were called? No, and this is what I said to you. Like, the notion that she is more special than the rest of them Mm -hmm. and her life is worth more. And, like, they really punctuate the movie with this because they give her this random fucking love story subplot with Abilene, which, like, makes him randomly more invested in the case, makes, like, her life mean more. Because he he there's there's stretches of this film where he's like oh he's he's present at every single murder even the ones that aren't the canonical five because he's present for a couple of the other murders that happen at the beginning of the film or he's at least he sees one. or he sees he, a vision of one he of them, sees a he, vision of um, Margaret yeah I can't think what her surname is that's completely escaped me but Margaret who was the Margaret was the last victim before what is known as the canonical five. This is true. Like, this is actually true. She was the last victim before what became known as the canonical five, which are the five women that we are certain were killed by Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Uh, There were two murders beforehand that have been attributed to him, but there's arguments over whether or not that is in fact the case. And the implication is that it was the the prostitute hunting gang at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And in actual fact, there are 11 murders that have all been at some point attributed to Jack the Ripper, but canonically, there yeah. are five. And this is the thing, like, it's <laughs> it's the fact that, like, and it's never more present than in the end of the movie when they go to her murder site and the woman that has been killed is so disfigured and so unrecognisable that he thinks because that's where she was staying that instantly it's her and he starts, like, breaking down. And I, I said this to you, I was like, I'm not I'm not being funny. Like, seven women in total in this movie get killed. Mm-hmm. But, like, we're only... Well, six, because six she... Six and one gets lobotomised, yeah. yeah. 
Because, but you're only supposed to give a shit about her. Yeah. And that's, like, you don't care. You're not supposed to care about Anne. You're like, oh, well, you know, the royal family are going to take care of her. Like, you know, she's in a, an insula, asylum or whatever. Mm. And then the other ones are like, you're not even, like, they're not they're barely even given personalities. Yeah. And, like, that's what fucks me off about this movie. But, like, not necessarily just the movie, but the way that the case is handled in real life. She is the only one that anyone knows anything about. Yeah. And it really winds me up because at the end of the day, like, her life was no more or no less no. important than the other women. No. So why is it that she is the one... I don't want to say gets the glory because that's a horrible way of wording it, I but think why is she the one... because she's the last canonical victim, she's always the one that gets remembered. Plus, her death was the most gruesome yeah. out of all of the deaths. But in, so in, just in order so everyone is aware, in case you don't know the case very well, the women killed by Jack the Ripper were Marianne Nichols, who was the first yeah. victim, Annie Chapman, who was the secondary victim, it was then Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes, who were referred to as the double, so they were both killed on the same night. Yeah. Um, they basically believe that the first one was interrupted, he never got to complete his rituals, hence why the second woman was killed on the same night. Yeah. And then it was Mary Jane Kelly who was the yeah. last canonical victim of Jack the Ripper. Who they give, like, a fucking heroic death, uh, heroic ending to in this movie. Yeah. And it's like... Yeah, I find it... See, I find it really difficult with movies like this, because I, I, as a general rule, I don't tend to watch movies that are based on real-life events, mm-hmm. like, especially real-life serials, mostly because this happens a lot of the victims become, like, a passing mention. And the focus is... And it happens a lot. It happens in cases. It happens in the newspapers. You can take any big murder case from the past 20, 30 years, like serial killers, and people will be able to tell you who the killer is, but nobody will be able to tell you what the victims were called. Yeah. And this is something that always gets me with films like this, films like um, Extremely Wicked. Yeah. Um, or whatever that film's actually called. Extremely um, Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, which is the Ted Bundy one. Yeah, there's the... There's a few that have been made about um, the Yorkshire Ripper. That's got mm. that's got a film about him, I believe. Um, there's one about the Rami- Richard Ramirez. Yes, uh, there's there's uh, a couple about Richard Ramirez. Richard Ramirez was obviously also a side character in um, American Horror Story 1984. Yeah. There's some Summer of Sam, which is the one that's based on David Berkowitz. There's Zodiac, which is the Fincher one. And then, obviously, the other big two are the Jeffrey Dahmer series, which just came out with um, Matey from American Horror Story in it. I can't think of his name. Evan Peters. Yeah, and then, obviously, Monster. Now, Monster's the only... Not to excuse the fact-checking in this one. Monster is the only one where, through the lens of the movie, it makes sense that they wouldn't reveal who the victims' names are until the end because she was a prostitute, so she would have no reason to know their names when she was killing them. Yeah. It would only be after when the manhunts and the police hunts and stuff like that are like revealed. That's not to excuse obviously the filmmaking, but it would it, it makes, makes more sense in the context of like But like this is the thing, and it I everyone's guilty of it, like I'm guilty of it. A lot of crimes I couldn't tell you what the victims were called, but I could tell you what the killers are called. But it irritates me to a degree when you make these films Basically, to a degree, glorifying these killers, mm-hmm. and then the the victims are a footnote, or they're used for like disgusting merchandise purposes. Like I've seen T-shirts with like Jack the Ripper like Whitechapel tour on them, and it's got like they're like tour shirts with like the date and the names of the victims and where they were killed and stuff on the yeah. back like that. And I'm like, yeah, it happened hundreds of years ago, 
But still... Yeah, like, it's one of those horrible on. things. Like, you think about more recent cases, and a lot of people would be like, oh, you can't really do that because of the victim's families and things like that. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. A lot of these women probably do not have surviving descendants. Yeah, I would assume it's not. highly unlikely, unless they had siblings who've given who've had children. Yeah. I mean, it's not out of the realms of possibility, but it seems highly it unlikely. It seems highly unlikely. But the thing is, is, I feel like even then, there should be some kind of respect placed on the fact that these women lost their lives in horrendous fucking ways as well. Yeah. None of them were like a quick death. Yeah. And it's like it's like the thing is as well, like, not to put too fine a point on this, but it's like when we look at war and you look at war films. Mm-hmm. You look at films that are like Saving Private Ryan or things like Schindler's List or stuff like mm-hmm. that, where the emphasis is on the people that do the horrible crimes rather than the people that survived or mm-hmm. went through the, the horrible things. See, this is part of the reason why, as a rule, I do not watch war movies. Yeah, I, I don't. And I like, don't. I can't. The only film that I've watched and can sit sit there and say that actually after watching it, I I was like this was actually a really good film was um, Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, <coughs> but like hi- history remembers like the wrong people. Yeah, like when we look back in years from years from now, like when we look at things like what we were taught in school, like Nazi Germany, and then now kids are being taught about nine eleven mm-hmm. and Al Qaeda and things like that, and Osama bin Laden. And then in, like, 30, 40 years' time, people will be learning about what Putin did, what, like, Trump was responsible for, Mm. what, like, Kim Jong-un was responsible for, and things like that. And they will be the people that will will be remembered because they are the atrocity causers. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, the the everyday people that went through this and survived it or had family members that were killed are never remembered unless it's for a purpose of, well, we're making a recreation or we're making a film. And, like... There are times when they have made films like this where they have changed victims' names or they have composited victims so that, like, they can get around it, which I think is even more disgusting. Yes, it's wrong on a lot of different levels. Because you're then saying, well, this person could have been these two... This one character could have been these two people, which I think is equally as disrespectful as just saying, like, this was John Jones who was, like, killed by this man. Every victim in every one of these movies deserves to have their name mentioned equally as much, if not more, than the person that killed them. Like, we need to be written, we need to remember who killed these people, but we also need to remember I who was killed as well. I think the thing is, as well, is there's a problem now, especially when, because obviously we're getting a lot more serial killer documentaries, a lot more. I mean, I'm a white woman in my 30s. I fucking love a serial killer documentary. Ryan Murphy's just writing fucking checks like they're going out of fashion at the moment. I don't know what it is. It's something to do with just like... And a lot of my female friends are all the same because you find it really weird and we've discussed this. We're all obsessed with true crime podcasts. Now, I have a theory on why we're all obsessed with true crime podcasts. And it's basically because as a woman, we listen to these things and go... Oh, well, if I don't do that, then it's unlikely I'll get killed. Like, a lot of it is, like, a process of going, okay, well, that was really dumb. Let's never do that if ever we are in, like, a situation where, like, we might potentially get kidnapped and killed. Mm. Like, and I feel like it's a defence mechanism to a degree. I think, I think where my, my mind switched on this. So when I was 17, 18, I, when I left school, I wanted to be, like, a criminal profiler. Yeah. Like, I wanted to be, like, Clarice Starlin. I wanted to sit in a room and have these conversations with these people and be like, why did you do it? Because me and you have had this conversation. I've always been fascinated. Maybe fascinated is the wrong word. No, I'm in, with it. Tomorrow morning, 
I will get up, I will put my clothes on, I'll get on a train, I'll go to work, it'll be a really boring day, and I will probably not, hopefully not jinx myself, but I will live my life, I'll come home, I'll make dinner, I'll watch TV. Somewhere in the world, while I am doing this, and while we are doing this, somebody is getting up and preparing to murder someone. Yeah. And I've always wanted to know why. Yeah. Thing, I feel like the why is always really interesting, um, especially because a lot of it tends to come from childhood traumas. Also, yeah. on another side note, because Simon also, I also wanted to be a profiler. That was one of the things I wanted to do, and I applied to move to America. I was <laughs> going to go. I wanted to go be a profiler for the FBI, and everyone's answer is always like, you know, it's not like in Criminal Minds, and I'm like, yeah, I'm aware. That's why I wanted to be a profiler <laughs> for the FBI. I think I don't want to be an active field agent, babes. <laughs> I think what changed my mind was reading a lot of books and watching a lot of films like this mm. and finding that like as as I was growing up like it was not I, I don't want to say it was starting to affect my mental health but it was starting to make me uncomfortable and I was like there's a difference between watching a film or a documentary than actually sitting opposite someone in a room and hearing them talk about that yeah and that was the point where I started going is there something wrong with me is there something wrong like in this scenario and, like, I then, I think the real turning point was when I watched Monster. Because I went through a really big phase of, like, reading a lot about Eileen Wernos. And I I have her autobiography, or a book about her, at least, downstairs. And, like, I found myself really sympathising with her. And I was it, it was at that point where I was like, I should not be feeling bad for this person. Even though I can kind of see why she did what she did. That was the bit where I was like, this is wrong. This feels wrong. See, the thing is, there are certain cases where, like, once they've been solved and, like, it all comes out and you learn about that person and, like, what what made them do it. Yeah. There is a moment where sometimes you do go, oh, like, this makes sense. Yeah. That's horrendous. And a lot of the time when you look at um, certain cases, a lot of it comes down to, like, a lot of, like, childhood trauma and yeah. abuse and stuff like that. And it does kind of make you feel sympathy to a degree because you're like, what happened to you was horrible. I don't agree with what you did, but what happened to you was yeah. horrible. But I think also you kind of, like, us being of a certain age and of, like, a certain lifestyle, having lived through something like Columbine as well. Oh, Jesus, yeah. And, like, I remember being in school and people being like, that's going to be you. You're going to do something like that. And you start sitting there thinking, like, what? Why are people saying this? Like, thing is, and you... is with the Columbine, we've really gone off topic, <laughs> but with the Columbine... <coughs> so bear in mind, obviously, I'm quite a bit younger than you, so Columbine happened when I was quite young. Yeah, I was... 99 i would have been let's just i was quite young 14, when, Columbine 15, happened. when it happened but obviously it affected things for years to come and i remember being in secondary school like people would say the same thing to me because i was the outcast kid and mm. i was a goth and i wore like the leather jackets and stuff like that like it was like oh you're gonna be like the Columbine kid because of what you're like but i also remember and this is a very very specific british reference i'm gonna make right now i remember sophie lancaster happening yeah and i also remember kids at school turning around and going that'll be you next yeah anyone who's not in britain <clears throat> will probably not understand that reference but it was something horrible that happened in the uk and i think that's the problem is stuff like this happens and the immediate reaction of a lot of kids is to go we'll find someone who dresses similarly to that person and we'll go make them feel bad about what happened yeah 
So I wouldn't take people saying you're going to be the next kid, you're, you're going to do what they did yeah. in any way, shape or form. That's just fucking teenagers, they're assholes. But yeah, to circle back to what we were originally talking mm. about, before we get really into this film... I've got on my soapbox <clears throat> a little bit, I do apologise. <laughs> before we get really into this film, and like, how do you feel about the artistic licence that Alan Moore took to tell the original story and taking such a horrific case and putting all these like extra subplots and stuff on top of it? It's a difficult one because part of me intrinsically just does not like it. Mm -hmm. But another part of me is like, it's plausible. Yeah. Like, we don't know what actually happened. Fuck, we don't even know if Jack was a bloke or not. Yeah. Like, we have no idea. So it's a difficult one because I am very much on the fence if I don't like it because it was something horrible that happened. And it still haunts the UK to this yeah. day. Like... I would. I won't even step foot in fucking Whitechapel. I've never been to Whitechapel. I've I won't step to foot yeah, at yeah. all. And like it's still like Whitechapel is still haunted by this case. Like yeah. it's still you go to London and if you're either you will avoid Whitechapel by like the plague, or alternatively you're the people who go on the Whitechapel tours. Is all it's known for yeah. is the Jack the Ripper cases. And um, so part of me is a little bit like. It's a big part of UK history. Yeah. It's something really horrible that happened in this country. But the other side of my brain goes, I mean, it's plausible. Like, yeah. this could be exactly what happened. Because like, um, Prince... <coughs> it's Prince Edward Albert? Yeah, it's Edward Albert, Victor, whoever. Whatever. But the He Prince, was like Lizzie's... Uh, he's Vicky's Lizzie, grandson. Vicky's grandson. Um, I have heard the theory that he was in fact behind the murders. Yeah. Like that is like an actual he he was at one point an actual suspect mm. in this case. I don't think at the time they were happening, but like over the years when people have investigated yeah. it, like he he honestly became a, a suspect for a little while. There's a long fucking list. If you want more background on the Jack the Ripper case, I highly suggest you go look into it yourself because fuck me, yeah. we'll be here for hours. Like part of me kind of agrees with you. Like I don't agree with the idea of spinning a yarn and putting your own spin on something and profiteering mm. from it. I'm not offended that it exists. Obviously, I've read the book. Yeah. I'm not offended that it exists. But I do find it interesting, like I said to you, like, the theory... Because the thing is, what with it being an unsolved case? Everybody's going to have a theory. Everybody's going to write stories. Like, fuck me, because Sherlock Holmes is fucking public domain there's a sherlock holmes jack the ripper story where sherlock holmes is the detective on the case assigned to like hunt him down i mean jack the ripper's also fought pinhead so you know whatever um but yeah like i so i'm not offended that it exists but like i said to you i find the theory fascinating both fascinating and plausible yeah like the the the, the, the... i mean i highly highly doubt that the fucking freemasons were involved somehow I don't want to say too much. I don't want to get put. On, I don't want to get put on a list. I don't want people watching me. But um, yeah, like, but I like. Oh, to be fair, I, I have very little. I, I don't believe much in secret societies. Like, so. I don't like the idea. But like the revelation at the end of this movie, you look at it and you go, actually, that's not a million miles away no. from something that could happen. Like, you know, he could have been a physician for the royal family who was like. As he puts it, they put it, cleaning up a mess. Well, this like, is the thing, isn't it? They're, they're the standard theories, isn't it? He was a butcher. He was a doctor. Yeah, I've also heard that he was... Uh, he could have been Polish or Russian, and he was also an American doctor, is the one that I've heard. But then, as my mum always puts it, that's just the Americans trying to claim, like, glory for something. They had no fucking yeah. fighting like they always do. Yeah. So, 
you know. Yeah, it's like the thing. It's like I don't hate it. There's a certain parts of the 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 idea of the film, and I I think you said in is it in the comic as well that Mary survives. Um, I don't think she survives in the comic. I, or she does survive, but her ending isn't the ending that she gets in the movie. To be fair, it's been a while since I've read the comic. Yeah, but yeah, like, but like that pisses me off to a degree. Like it's lovely that they like, especially in the film, they wrote her this nice happy ending, and she gets to live out a, a long and uh, I'm assuming a long and happy life. Although it was the Victorian era, so probably not that long or her, that happy. Her next adventure was on a boat called the Titanic. <laughs> oh no, no, babe, we do not make Titanic jokes. That's horrendous. Um, but like I like like it's sweet they kind of gave her this you know this happy ending yeah, to a degree. Like, but another part of me is like yeah, but you've just created a victim instead. Like yeah, you've you've taken the power away from acknowledging a real victim and then put that like especially like we said the amount of mythology mythologizing they do of her character. They basically like graft her death onto somebody that wasn't even present when this was all happening. No. And it doesn't make any sense from like a na- like from a narrative standpoint. It doesn't make any sense. But like, there's a lot of things in this movie that don't make narrative sense. I also find it interesting that they made them all friends as well. Like the five women are friends in this. Yeah, they're like a they're like a hashtag girl squad. <laughs> they're a hashtag girl squad because like, as far as we are aware, there was no little to very very little to no crossover between their lives. They were all yeah. working women in. Whitechapel. <coughs> I think they would. But there was a lot of working women yeah. in Whitechapel back then. <laughs> I think they would have had as much interaction as they were like on the same patch or the same turf, or yeah. they would be looking over a John's shoulder and they would see another woman in the same alleyway. Yeah. Like they wouldn't be like they are in this movie. As far as we're aware, I mean, they could yeah. have all actually been busy mates. We don't know. And but also, as far as it's been proven historically, there's not really any crossover between their lives. And also. Anne, Anne Crook, who is Albert's mistress slash wife slash like the chain the of event kicker off her. Was she, like, they never say in the film, was she a prostitute? Yes. And then she got out by working and she got set up in a job in a shop. Because I was like, she seems like so she's she doing all right for herself. was <coughs> banging Albert. Albert got her out of the game and into a job in the shop and then yeah. married her. Yeah. Yeah. Because like they don't make <laughs> that very clear in the film. But like she's still like down with her girls. Yeah, like, she's, she's still, still like hanging out with the crew. Still one of the crew. She's still there for them. Because because I think. Oh, actually, now that I'm mentioning it, Mary mentions that they all went and made money by being painted by him. So yeah. I'm assuming that's when the affair started. I'm assuming so. Like, yeah. He wasn't like it's never outwardly said that he was a John. Like, well, I think it's implied later in the film when they talk about him having syphilis that he was uh, a John to many a woman. Yeah. But yeah, it's. Um, it's interesting, like, how the story plays out. From a film aspect, like, what did you think of the film? I think this is a very confusing and very muddled film. It's a very confusing and very muddled film. It's also really fucking slow. Like, this movie's yeah. over two hours long. And they just meander through most of it. Most of it is just fucking pointless bullshit. Like, Abilene getting high in an opiate house. Like, fucking them just meandering around London. Romania, but London. Um, it's Prague, they filmed it. Prague. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of just pointless shit. Yeah. Did you also think that it took far too long for the two main storylines to converge as well? Yeah. 
Like you kind of, this kind of starts making sense when like you're like, oh, hang on a second. Especially when you see um, Arthur alive later. And I was like, well, hang on Albert. a second, Albert. You see him alive later. And I was like, well, hang the fuck on a second. Mm, that seems odd. Because he was obviously married to one of their friends who was a working girl. And he's obviously quite higher class because mm. he, she was going to get money from him for the girls and stuff. And that was when I started going, this seems odd. Also, his return has no fanfare. They, they, like, they drag him out of his bedroom mid-shag and like take him somewhere when they take her to the nut house. Yet then he just randomly comes back. Yeah. Like, so what the fuck happened to him? Like, I'm assuming he got a slap on the wrist from Nana yeah. and just gone, go behave yourself. And like, they do this thing where they like, tr- like the, the Hughes brothers try and like lead you in certain directions with like their transition shots. Because there's a shot where he's like walking down the road and then the bird like puts her arm around him. She's like, oh, I can suck your dick like I suck, I can suck the River Thames, mate. And then he gets in the, the carriage driven by Netley and then it transitions to another scene where Netley's in the house and he's drinking and Jack the Ripper's talking to him. So you're led to believe that it's the same person. Like they want you to believe that it's Albert because Albert's just got in the coach of him and then he's in the house. And they, they do try to leave like breadcrumbs for you yeah but it's like very confused like like the hughes brothers clearly wanted to make a movie about jack the ripper they put a lot of time and effort into like making the kill sequences look like they would have done allegedly and the murder scenes and they're very interested in telling that part of the story and one of the things i saw i don't know if you saw this they put the actual crime photos up on the set to get a more and I quote, edgy performance out of the fucking cast, which I think is a fucking dick move, personally. Well, but this is like... the thing, is they focus quite heavily on, like, making the scenes direct replicas of the yeah. actual scenes of the crime. Great. Fantastic. Why? Yeah, so they're clearly interested in that half of the story. The, the they're, other they're, subplot, they, they could not give two the shits thing is, about. is, I feel a little bit like they were really interesting glorifying the murders of, oh, look how gruesome and horrible these yeah. guys are. Isn't it disgusting? Oh, gross. Yeah. But they had no interest in actually telling the story of the five women yeah. and of Jack the Ripper. Because the the five women have no personalities other than the, the fact other that they're... Mary Kelly. Like, like, they're like... Like there's even there's there's even hinted at one point that one of them is oh it's not Let, hinted it's like outwardly said that one of them is gay, and they're not interested in like that. They're like just like because that at this time like in the world was like a massive thing, and like would have been a massive thing. But, like, oh no 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 no! Women would never do that to each other. But like yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it would have been like revelatory, like for someone to actually be out and living that life at this time. Like the TV series Gentleman Jack. But that's a whole other story. But like they set up all these different plot threads. Like with Anne Crook. With the whole Mason thing. With Albert. And like it only seems like they included the Mason subplot. Because they knew eventually they were going to have to reveal who Jack the Ripper was. And they were like well we have to do See, this, this to get to this thing, revelation. This is the thing that I kind of, it kind of annoys me a little bit with this movie. Is there was not a need to reveal who Jack was. Yeah. It's well known. <coughs> Nobody ever figured it out. Yeah. People are still investigating 
today. Yeah. To try and figure out who Jack the Ripper was. Mm. Like they're like not the police, obviously, but like there are armchair detectives all over the world who are still investigating Mate, this case. Every motherfucker with a true crime podcast has got like a four part special on who the fuck Jack the Ripper yeah, was. Yeah, exactly. Legit. Legitimately. Um so I don't know why they felt the need to have that. Oh, this was Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Like obviously I know we find out in the comic books. Yeah. So therefore, like, it makes sense. But they could have just gone, we're not going to do that because it just starts to get a bit mm. mismatched and a bit wobbly in the actual script. So we're just going to leave it as a, we don't know. Yeah. And they could have even closed the film with the, like, to this day, Jack the Ripper is still unknown. Yeah. Like, they could have had him, like... So the bit the bit where he, like, escapes, like, when, he, when Johnny Depp, when Abilene figures out who he is, they could have just had that bit where the coaches go in, just, like, the coach leaves and they're, like... He got away, and like the the detective saying to him, "We're watching you," and that's it. They're like, and like Aberline giving a statement saying that now, like a week later or months later, like the the case is now closed. The the suspect was never caught, but the killings have stopped. But it was or, investigated for years yeah. afterwards. Like Although they... on the flip side, I do think the revelation of who he is is the best part of the movie. Yeah. Like, it's the most but, interesting but, but, part of the film. This is the, the, you are right, but also we get the really weird fucking Mason subplot. Yeah. Which, in the comic book, I'm sure is really well done, because I know Alan Moore is basically a genius. But in the film, it just seems tacked onto the side, because they were like, oh shit, we're going to have to reveal who he is. Yeah. Fucking Mason's. Yeah. Mason's. It was the royal family Mason's, sorted. Yeah. And Alan Moore's watching this going... Yeah. Like, and also, like, there's other bits in this that, like, I didn't, like, I understand why the lobotomy scene is in there, but, like, the whole scene with, like, John Merrick, like, why the fuck is the Elephant Man in this movie? Yeah. Like, that whole sequence is completely pointless. Yeah. I get why they show what happens to her, because it happens to him later on. And, like, the Freemasons, like, showcase that, because that's what they do to him later on, which is fair enough. Like, it's good foreshadowing. However, the scene with, like, the elephant man... See, I don't even feel like it's foreshadowing having her lobotomised at the beginning, having Anne lobotomised. Um, no, but watching him tell them how to do the procedure and then knowing that the procedure happens to him at the end is what I was saying. Like, it's not foreshadowing the sense of who he is. It's foreshadowing his fate. Yeah, but also I do feel like that was kind of added into... So I'm assuming she also gets a little bit of in the comic yeah. books. like they do all that shit. But, though. like, it didn't need to be there. And no. I'm, I'm going to hold Alan Moore accountable for this to a degree as well, actually. It just seems, like, gratuitous to be, like... Oh, the girl's crazy. Yeah. Lobotomise her. Also... And the thing is as well, is this is something that historically happened to a lot, a lot of people in general, but a fucking lot of women. I was literally about to say this, because we covered a movie, what, two months ago, three months ago, where the same thing fucking happened? In London, around about the same time period, in Sweeney Todd. Oh, yeah. Because it's what old fucking Nobed Turpin does to um, Joanna. Yes. He fucking... Does the horrible thing? Does he? To... Does he lobotomize her? No, but he puts her in the nut house. He puts her in the nut house, and yeah. like convinces her that she's crazy and that it didn't happen to her. Well, and I he... mean, he doesn't really manage to convince her, yeah, but he but tells like, everyone that she's yeah. crazy. But like, this is the thing, and I, I, again, I kind of have an issue with like lobotomies being used as a plot point. Yeah, because it is sucker something punch. that. <sighs> See, sucker punch is an odd one for me, but we're not talking about that. 
but it's like something that did happen to a lot of women mm-hmm. and it was on the smallest of grounds yeah like they would it was basically if you went against the grain and you went against your husband they'd fucking lobotomize yeah. bitches left right and center and i really i i I do have an issue with it being used as a plot point and stuff. Sucker Punch and me have some issues with it, but I think we've mostly sorted it out now. Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't like that they and it's quite drawn out as well. Yeah. Like it's unnecessarily drawn out. I I will say one thing about this movie, and it's like probably the most horrible thing that you can say about this movie. I do think the one thing that the movie does get right, unfortunately is the treatment of women in this time period is Mm. portrayed extremely and uncomfortably well in this film. Um, And again, that kind of highlights, that sequence highlights, especially like what they would have classed as like 'er ne'er-do-wells or unfortunates as they call them. Like she goes missing and no one cares. Mm -hmm. And like, this is what they say. Like, this is the thing that I found heartbreaking to a degree about this film and you know it's heartbreaking because this is how these women would have been found i said to you when they find the first proper victim she like they do like a flash montage of like groups coming and going throughout the day that is through the night yeah that poor woman that poor woman has been on the streets on the sidewalk for like 12 hours and people are just coming and observing her body on the street and like that is really horrible like the fact that like and this is what annoys me to a degree and this is where our society worldwide hasn't changed at all. Oh god, no. Is nobody you slow down to see yeah, the car crash. Nobody will intervene to stop a crime from happening because they will put their own well being before the well being of someone in trouble. But they are the first people there to go and look at a dead body or to look at a crime or to take photos or to like post a video online or you know, something along those lines, or like film a crime happening. And like it's a it's a stark reminder of like with this nobody was there when these crimes were happening nobody would have intervened as we saw when the gentleman sees um the woman being pinned down yet there are crowds of people around when these women's bodies are found mm-hmm. and like that to me is like that shows like how no matter how technologically advanced or how more civilized we think we've become in 2 300 years mm. Like, that shows that at our core base, humanity hasn't changed at all. Mm. And, like, that, I think, that whole depiction of, like, the way the crimes were committed, the bodies were found, and just the general treatment of the women in this film is a stark reminder of, like, not see, much really has changed the in, thing in is a long well, period of time. You made a comment about, obviously, her being an unfortunate she's gone missing and no one really cares. It's still a sad fact of life today. Like, if you... Are a youth on the streets, a sex worker who yeah. is living on the streets or living in her, like, um, they sponsored homes yeah. and hostels and things like that. If you go missing, you are bottom of the pile. You're referred to as a high risk victim as yeah. well. Like, but you're still, it's still to this day, is if somebody who is not part of the so- norm of society. Mm. You fall to the bottom of the pile. Like you might not even get reported missing, and you yeah. will have an original missing case of assuming you had family who reported you missing when you first ran away or left, whatever. But it's unlikely you would then be reported missing if you went missing from living on the streets. 
Especially people that are like estranged from families and things like that. No, because, this is what I'm saying is people yeah. who aren't in touch with their families anymore. Yeah. And especially people who work in things like sex work, people who have drug addiction or substance abuse problems, you become far less likely to become reported because other people who are in the same situation of you, who are going to be people who realise that you're missing or something's happened to mm-hmm. you, aren't going to want to go to the police because there's a chance they'll get thrown in a cell. And especially a lot of the times with stuff like this, people don't have ID. Homeless people or people in these situations that are like uh, worse off than the majority tend to not have like an ID. They're not registered at an address. They're yep. like, it's been a long time since they've like had a bank account or any sort of paper trace to see where like they would be or what their like last well-known residents are. And the thing is as well, a lot of people slip into situations where like they don't know who they are because they've got like problems like they, they yeah, have mental like health memory issues, problems and things like that issues. so it makes it harder and but like the point i was trying to make before we get on we get into a whole thing about this was that it's weird as you said about like things not changing from them and people watching the crime unfold the same treatment is given to people who are in the same situation now if something yeah. happens to them like you see all the time there'll be like somebody will get killed <clears throat> or something horrible will happen to a person and it'll be on the newspaper for a day, sex worker found dead. Yeah. And you'll never hear about it again. But if that was a young, pretty girl who was like doing well in school, it would be front page news for months. Yeah. And this is the thing is like, and I think it's something that weirdly I'm going to praise this film for. It shows you really how bad society in fact actually is. And watching it, you realise how little society has actually changed. Mm-hmm. Because... You see it in this film of, like, the men who are investigating this case who are referring to the women as unfortunate. So the same men who are going and having sex with the working ladies of the district, like, don't care. But they're the same men who will pay them. Yeah, like, it's the modern it's the modern day version of, like, somebody watching Pornhub but then going onto an OnlyFans girl's, like, Tumblr and be like, you're a hawk, you take clothes off. Yeah. Like... Which I mean, it's see- not even a modern like. There's not yeah. that's not even the modern day. It's the same thing of yeah. like the the men in power are going and having paid sex with sex workers, and then the next day are turning around and going, "We need to crack down on prostitution." Yeah, like <clears throat> it's a it's a harsh reality of like you know as much as we like to think that we've we've civilized and we've come so far in like three mm-hmm. four hundred years, we haven't at all. Also, I've realised this film has just made me and signed on a couple of soapboxes. <laughs> on that note, what did you... So let's let's break the, the movie parts down. Mm-hmm. So what did you actually think of the Jack the Ripper stuff? Like, in this movie, how do you rate this film as a Jack the Ripper film and a telling of that, that story? Fuck the Mason plot, the, action, the, Jack the, the central stuff. plot, the investigation, the, the characters, the murders, the wrap-up oh, of it all. I could have done without the romance subplot in the Jack the Ripper case. I don't know why the fuck they added the Abilene Mary Kelly bit, but whatever. Um, They actually got it all pretty right. Mm-hmm. Like They were pretty true to life of what actually happened during the case. There was a couple of bits they got wrong, uh, like some of the wounds on the victims and some of yeah. the organ removals and stuff like that. Um, but as a general rule, it was pretty on point. Um, yeah, I think I think they did a good job covering the Jack Ripper case. I just do personally wish they would have given 
all of the women a bit more of a personality and actually use their names. I think most of them, they only get called by their names like once or twice yeah. during the film. Like you don't really <clears throat> hear their names a lot. Yeah. Um, and that kind of annoys me to a degree. But the actual case itself, like they did, they did give it the justice it deserves, I guess. It's very true to life of what actually happened. What do you think about him, him having a little comedy sidekick? The sidekick is where I kind of draw the line. Because yeah. I said to you, like, it would make sense for him to have had a sidekick in real life. But then also it takes away from, like... See, I've never agreed with the whole Jack the Ripper having a sidekick thing. Purely because of, like, the crimes and the way they're committed. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it speaks to an unorganised killer. Yeah. Like, quite drastically. He's, like, an unorganised, like spare-of-the-moment killer, yeah. I find it unlikely he would have had a partner because all of his killings seem to have been... Quite frenzied. I have a woman now, perfect, and then he basically was just lost control yeah. and would completely obliterate them. So I find it <laughs> difficult to believe that he would have a partner Yeah. Um, just because of the crimes themselves. Yeah. Um... So yeah, that's the plot for me is a bit weird because I'm like I, I can't imagine him working with someone. Also, he's very um, it's all planned. This is one of the issues I have with Jack. It's very meticulous. It's very meticulous. It's all very planned, and the crime scenes don't speak to that. Yeah, the crime scenes really do talk to him being like an opportunistic, disorganized killer, not a planned, prepared. Yeah killer yeah like he's not a slash and grab type of guy but he's very much uh there there is there is a frenzied efficiency to what he is doing like it's frenzied and the attacks are like brutal and like stab 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 like rip 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 but it's also like he knows exactly what he's doing so there is a sense of there is like a sense of like i feel like to a degree we've kind of landed on this whole like he knew what he was doing yeah did he really though because he basically ripped I'm going to get a little bit graphic, I'm really sorry. Like, the first victim, mm-hmm. um, Mary Ann, yes. he ripped her open and basically just tore her uterus out. Yeah. Like, and he did this a lot. Like, yeah. it's not... And then obviously everyone's always like, oh, he's obviously quite, like, look at what he did to Mary Kelly. Yeah. Again, he basically just tore her open and removed her organs. Like... And she got compared... All of her organs were taken out. Like, I want to be very clear. He ripped her to shreds. It was completely... Yeah. And this is the thing that always gets me with the case. And I don't know if it's ever been brought up, but it seems highly likely that he, in fact, knew Mary Kelly. Mm -hmm. And that's why that attack was so visceral. Yeah, it was like... She was the actual target of his anger. Like, you build up to it. You build up to killing the person you're yeah, going, yeah, yeah. you want to kill. Yeah. Because you've got to like, get your guts up to do it. So what That was thought, a really poor choice of words. Sorry, yeah. You kind of got to get yourself around to doing it. Like, you'll build yeah. it up a little bit. You're like, get most of it out. So I've always assumed that like, Mary Kelly was the actual target. <laughs> and the thing is, as well, is in this film, they don't really address, like, how chaotic any... All the film, the crimes, the crimes aren't particularly chaotic in this, are they? That ed- some of They're, the scenes are like really fucking really, really but, but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they, it's very much tre- like he is like a man with a plan, and he's very poised, yeah. and he knows what he's doing. Um, and that's a big issue I have actually. Now we're talking about it. Is Jack the Ripper was not an organized killer? Mm. I mean, it's in his fucking name. He's called Jack the Ripper. 
Yeah, and that's another thing that... Not annoys... Jack the Gentleman <clears throat> Murderer. That's another thing that annoys me about this film, is, like, they don't refer to him as Jack the Ripper until about three quarters of the, the way through is, the movie. I don't think he was referred to as Jack the Ripper for quite a while, like, during yeah. the case. But this is the thing, like, no one's ever called him that, and then randomly, just, like, about three quarters of the way through the movie, they the just randomly start referring to him. Was... I think the thing is, is the newspaper started referring to him yeah. as Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And the second letter they received, I think oh, you see it in the film but you don't see them receiving it is signed from your friend Jack yeah it's the from hell letter that the movie and the um, book take its name from no but it's not I don't think it's the from hell letter where he refers to himself as your friend Jack it's the second letter because the from hell is the third letter yeah the from hell letter is the one where he's got like the half a kidney where he says that he ate yeah. half of it and whatever Oh yeah, so it's the Dear Boss letter, which is the the, the prominent, it's the Dear Boss letter, the Saucy Jack postcard, mm-hmm. Saucy Jackie, sorry, and then the From Hell letter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah, so so he, the, the name Jack the Ripper was first used in the letter, the Dear Boss letter, which was sent in September of 88, 27th of September mm-hmm. 88. So he named himself. Yeah. Um. One thing I will say about this movie, and I don't know how you feel about it, because I want to talk about the direction, then I want to talk about the acting, and then we'll wrap up. Uh-huh. Did you think this movie looked way too modern? Like it was directed really, like with a really modern style that didn't mm. feel like didn't like tonally. Yeah, it was like, certain fit. scenes where I was like, this doesn't seem in, in <clears> keeping <throat> with the era this is set in. Yeah, like I think a lot of it was like the color filters and like the flash cut, the the like. Yeah. yeah. And there's like random scenes where he's like in silhouette putting his hands into like like acid yellow like filters and then you see the blood streaming out and like the flashbacks have all got green filters and I was like, I get it, you're using a lot of early two thousands like Dracula two thousand style filters, like but it just didn't seem like the MTV style editing and like shooting of this movie was really distracting in certain scenes because there are some scenes in this where you're like okay this feels very period like specific but there's like lines of dialogue in this that also feel way too modern and feel like really out of place but yeah it, it just kind of feels like a little bit too hip for the subject matter which again i think lends credence to what you were saying about like the whole Jack the Ripper's a rock star in this movie kind of thing from earlier where they're like, hey man, look how cool these scenes look. And it's like, you're not supposed to think they look cool. Like, I'll walk into a slasher movie rooting for Jason Voorhees. I'm not supposed to be rooting for fucking Jack the Ripper in this movie. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why are you trying to make these scenes look so cool and so edgy and so hip? Like, what are you doing? Like, so that, to me, I I felt was a bit off-putting. However, I will say, this movie has aged from a cinematography standpoint incredibly well yeah it doesn't look like it's a very old film at all yeah um what did you think of the acting in the movie so uh robbie coltrane was a delight obviously robbie coltrane is always a delight we love him same year as philosopher's stone 2001 yes yeah yeah so my man's doing hagrid and jack the ripper in the same year 
Well, he's not Jack the Ripper. Yeah. But he's, he's doing <laughs> Harry Potter and Jack the Ripper. What? Wait, could you imagine if they like tried to cut Robbie Coltrane's silhouette? We're like, well, we know that motherfucker did it. Look at his silhouette. He's <laughs> a giant man. Like, they can only film him from the side. <laughs> oh, I love Robbie Coltrane. So he's fucking, fucking great. He's amazing in this film. R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, he died for I know. Soul destroying man. Um, Heather Graham. She's just there to. I, I don't particularly rate Heather, Heather Graham as an actress, to be honest. I don't think she's a particularly good actress. Mm-hmm. She's just there to look pretty and, and be a love interest. <laughs> and what did you say when we were watching this? You were like, she is far too clean and far too well dressed to be a prostitute in 1888. Yeah, she is. Like, she has all of her teeth. She has, her skin is flawless. I'm pretty sure she's wearing makeup for most of these scenes. Yeah. I am sorry, babe. You are an 1800s working girl. I think she's the only one who gets a costume change as well. Because yeah. she has that green dress on. And then towards the end of the movie, she's got that blue Merida from like braid yeah. looking dress on. But you look at how all of the other women like look. Like their hair's a bit ratty. Some of them are teeth blacked out. And then there's Heather Graham. And I'm like, I'm not being fucking funny, but at least try and make her, like, mess her up a little bit. Like, yeah. She looks so <laughs> out of place with the rest of the girls. Like, when they're all stood together at the beginning, and you're, like, looking or going, oh, well, she's obviously the one who's going to be the love interest in the film because they've not even tried to make her look a yeah. little bit dirty. Like, it really pissed me off. Because, like, they do have the excuse of, like, the fact that Abilene was, like, giving her money and stuff. Yeah, but he wasn't at the beginning. No, he wasn't at the beginning, but towards the end of the movie, that, He only like... gives her money, like, once to get a hotel for her and the rest of the girls. They're off the street. Yeah, but then she's got that envelope of money towards the end, because that's when the French girl goes and buys all the bread yeah, and stuff. Yeah, but that's the money he gave her yeah. for the room and the food, yeah. so that they wouldn't have to go out on a night and work. So he's all, like, you know... Well, he's covering her and yeah. her, her friends, isn't it? It's to cover a lot of them. Yeah. Although, man's got a pretty big house with a Frenchie in it. Like, I don't know why he's not just got them, like, holed up in his house. I mean, I feel like he lives in quite a nice area. And, I mean, it's all right to be snogging a, a, a working girl in White Whitechapel, but don't you dare bring them back to a nice neighbourhood. Yeah. He'd be disowned by the neighbourhood alliance, babe. Um, for the greater good. For the greater good. Uh, yeah, so... Heather Graham. Yeah. Her Cockney accent in this wasn't as bad as I remember it being. It wasn't dreadful, which is the nicest thing I can say about her. Uh, Johnny Depp, as a general fact of life, I do like Johnny Depp as an actor. I have watched most of his films. He's playing a cross between uh, Ichabod Crane, Ichabod Crane, and like Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, yeah. yeah. It's literally they like, went. We want you to do like dirty Londoner, but also like slightly better off, and he went. I've got it. It would crane smash together. Is, Abilene. It is mad though to think that in t- in nineteen ninety nine he did Sleepy Hollow, and then in the two thousands, so from two thousand to two thousand and nine, he played Detective Abilene, J M Barry, Jack Sparrow, Willy Wonka, Sweeney Todd, and he was in The Corpse Bride, all in the same fucking decade. That is fucking bonkers. It's range, man. It's range. Wow. Well, I mean, he's like, he played. <laughs> Johnny Depp plays Johnny Depp in everything. He which is, is luckily Johnny Depp as like a character is quite entertaining. Yeah. He um, is uh, to this movie what Keanu Reeves is to Dracula. <laughs> no, because his accent's not bad. Yeah, to be fair, he got the piss taken out of him for making this movie because people said his accent was shit. And I 
admittedly hadn't seen this movie in about 15 years but I was like watching this movie going yeah actually it isn't bad, bad. There's, a, there's a couple of scenes not where when we... you sit him next to fucking Keanu Reeves yeah. Jesus there's, there's a couple of scenes where he, he says to the copper like what are you fucking talking about and when he says to the guy by the door what, what am I going to do standing like a bleeding knobhead and I'm like alright okay like that shit's coming out a little bit but this is like two years before Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. so I think his performance this is before Johnny Depp kind of became Nicolas Cage I don't think I need to explain that reference any further but no. like he he's doing some really subtle stuff in this movie but like yeah he's not he's not great but he's also not terrible no. he's, he's somewhere in the middle everyone else is like giving a relatively decent performance yeah um, I quite like I don't know who the actor is and I can't think what his character is called but the guy who plays the leader of the Nichols gang yeah. The one who threatens... McQueen. Like, McQueen. Oh, my God. He is terrifying. And I wish he'd been in this more because he was very, very, very good for what little we got yeah. of him. Ralph Ralph Innocent plays his mate at the beginning. Uh, Dominic Cooper's allegedly in this. He's one of the constables. <laughs> it's the first movie he was ever in. I never saw him. Never saw him. Um, I think... Th- He's actually a constable who finds the body. <laughs> I think... Meandering about his day. I think the women who round out the the prostitute gang, Leslie Sharp, obviously, from Full Monty, mm-hmm. she's a really good actress. Um, the two prominent ones, obviously, being Joanna Page, who's from Gavin and Stacey. She's very good in this, in the in the scenes that she she's in. <sighs> Leslie Sharp's very good. The rest of the women do well with what they've got but to be honest they've got paper they're they're basically there to die unfortunately let's be honest the only people who actually have roles in this film are johnny depp robbie coltrane and heather graham and ian home and ian home like bilbo baggins motherfucker baggins and the lord of the rings lord of the rings or the hobbit he's in lord of the rings Rings, yeah Yeah, but he's in the hobbit as well isn't he because at the very very end it shows you the beginning of lord of the rings yeah, because I thought he was in the beginning of The Hobbit, no. telling the story, and no. then he's at the end of The Hobbit. No, so he's at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, finishing the book there and back again. And then yeah. I think you see him very briefly at the end of The Hobbit. Tying the two. Tying the two okay, films yeah, together. Because yeah. it's young Bilbo is telling the story yeah. there and back again. But he's fucking great in this. He is fantastic. I mean, to be fair, when is Ian Holm not good? The Borrowers. Oh, you fuck right <laughs> off. I love the borrowers. Um, yeah, he he's another R.I.P. actor, unfortunately. Coming for the fucking borrowers. Um, but I think he's fucking great in this. He is. He's very good, actually. I, I think one of the biggest problems of this film is... But that... he's still not in it very much. No. Like, he doesn't actually do much acting. No. But I do think he is a believable Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Um, I think the, the movie's biggest failing is it's an, Ameri- it's an American duo taking on an English legend from a fictionalised version of events by an Englishman mm. and trying to tell it through their own filter. And I think for me, that's the biggest fault of this film yeah. is the fact that it's like American directors handling something that is quintessentially British. Yeah. Um, and not really having an understanding of like... What... I, I do think that's the, one of the big problems when like, especially with like Americans doing a film like this, is you don't really quite understand... Like, you can read the stories, like, you see the newspaper articles and, like, people talk about online. But, like, I don't think you quite understand the effect to this day it still has on England as a country. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, it's still spoken about regularly in the UK. Like... But it would be like... It would be like an Englishman trying to make a movie about the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Like, something that was so quintessential to, like, the birth of a country or, like, to... 
the a, a country's history mm. like it would be like someone trying to do that and you can't without without having a fundamental understanding and like deep rootedness of what it means to like your country and like your like we talk about Jack the Ripper as a as a as a legend not in like he's a legend mate but he is like he's a legendary figure for the wrong yeah. reasons like, like he is and the thing is is he's memorialized in the UK like you like I said if you, if if you are not a british uh, resident and you ever come to the UK like go to london you can go and do what temple walking tours of all of the places that the they Jack sell the Ripper, merch about the yeah, guy jack the ripper's victims were found you can buy jack the ripper merchandise uh, london dungeons have a permanent jack the ripper section mm. um I think all of the Although, British locations have a Jack the Ripper section. I think after London Dungeons dropped an absolute bollock over him this year, they can fucking wind their necks in for a little bit. Because did you not see the post they put out on International Women's Day of like a woman dressed like Jack the Ripper? And they were like, well, why couldn't a woman be Jack the Ripper or something along those lines? Basically, on International Women's Day, implying that the most notorious serial killer Everybody. in our history could also have been a woman. And I was like... I mean... <laughs> to be fair, I am of the belief that potentially Jack the Ripper was a woman. However, I do also think that's a massive clangor and you shouldn't have both done under it. Yeah. Like, but, like, London Dungeons does have a permanent Jack yeah. the Ripper section. Like, anywhere you go in London, you will be able to find something Jack the Ripper. It, everything's either Jack the Ripper or Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Like, there are two options in London, all right? To, to be fair, it's a pretty easy Halloween costume as well. You could just you just change the hat out and you're either or. Exactly, change the the top hat for a deer stalker. Mm. Although there is one scene in this movie where they do make him look like a shit magician. <laughs> it's really fucking funny. Um, um, but yeah, no, I do think like having an America, two Americans make a film about a British, like, a very quintessentially British case, written by adapted and turned into what it is by a British author, was maybe not the best choice. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, I would like to know, like, if they were fans of Alan Moore's. Yeah. Or if they or if were, they were... Uh, the studio decided they were making the film. Yeah. I think, I think, because the before they made this, the Hughes brothers directed Dead Presidents and Menace to Society. And then after this, they made Book of Eli, which is the movie with, if you've, have you ever seen, so spoiler alert if you've never seen it it's basically Denzel Washington is in a post-apocalyptic I, I really don't care you yeah anyway I've never seen it I've no um, it. it's about the bible and shit but yeah um, and they seem like really nice guys because I was in their comic-con panel when they were promoting that film the year they took it to comic-con and they come across as being really nice guys but it just seems like they were far too inexperienced and especially for the fetishization of Jack the Ripper in this movie and the regard that he's held in as this, like, mythic figure, it's like, did we really need the MTV version of this? Mm. And that's kind of, like, my my argument. But, you know... At the beginning of this, you mentioned Ripper Street. Did they actually ever get round to doing Jack the Ripper in Ripper Street? No. So... I was going to say, because I started watching it, and, yeah, like, I think I only made, like, a season in, but I, they, I don't remember them ever touching on the Jack. Yeah, I think, I think it was called Ripper Street because it took place in the same place as Whitechapel in the shadow of the Jack the Ripper murders. Uh... So it was either pre the murders happening and everything on the build-up to it or post the murders happening. And it was like... I don't remember them mentioning Jack the Ripper at all. I know I that fucking... It might have been pre-Jack the Ripper. I know that Robson Green was in it. 
Yeah, I watched like, the first season of it. Yeah, because I wanted to watch it because I thought it was going to be a TV series about the investigations and like the aftermath and how the community. Oh, it takes place six months after the final yeah. murder. So I yeah, I thought it was going to be about like the murders and then how like they were going to flash forward to like how the but you never actually see the murder like it's only ever referenced in the show yeah, it's like, six you never see after. yeah because it's got fucking matthew mcfadden and jerome flynn in it which is why i want to watch it and jerome oh, flynn in it jerome flynn not robson green i thought it was robson jerome green jerome flynn Probably. who i do really like okay so let's wrap this up what are your final thoughts on this film and what's your score for this movie i think it's not great um i don't think it's a very good adaptation of the jack the ripper case I think a lot of stuff gets lost in this film. It's very fucking confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it quite disrespectful at times uh, to their case and to also like the treatment of the women involved in the case. Um, and to uh, more source material. <sighs> I'm going to give it a two. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of... Um, I'm literally giving it a two purely because of Robbie Holtrain and uh, Johnny Depp. Home. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Like, I was obsessed with this movie when it came out. My parents gave me a copy of this on DVD for a Christmas present the year oh. it came out because I was so obsessed with the Jack the Ripper case. Like, my parents were like, yeah, that, like, and I've seen this movie a bunch of times, but I haven't seen it for a long time. My memory betrayed me and I thought the movie was worse than it was. And the movie's not terrible it's not as bad as my mind made me believe it was but still i agree with everything you said it's not a good adaptation of the source material it's not a good adaptation of the comic the only interesting thing about this movie is the revelation of who jack the ripper is because i do think that that theory is fascinating and i do think tying him into high society is really interesting especially and i have to be careful what i say here now especially with all of the rumored things that the royal family are supposed to have covered up and done in the years since yeah um and i want to make that very clear they are only rumors but when you look at a history of that family it seems plausible that this could have happened and he is who he could have been but again i agree with you everything else about this movie it it gets wrong um i would be inclined to give it a two as well so I mean, the royal family are all werewolves. So. <laughs> That's my and your thoughts on From Hell. Um, join us next week where we will be looking at Blade. Bloody. Uh, where we'll be looking at Blade. So Blade will be the film that we will be covering next week. Um, as always, guys, thank you for your continued support. We love you guys. We love um, hearing from you guys. If you want to drop us a line, want to talk more, uh, we are on social media. We are currently on the hellscape known as Twitter at S-I-M-A-H-F-Pod. We are on Tumblr and Instagram, so am I a horror fan, all lowercase, all one word. You can find links to all of the places where you can listen to the podcast and review the podcast on there. I just want to say, I find it interesting that Twitter is now the hellscape and not Tumblr. (laughs) Um, As always, we couldn't do this without you guys, so we appreciate all the support. Um, Stay spooky, stay safe, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.